All right, we're here with episode 10 of It's Server Time. Uh, hope everybody's having a great, happy holiday. This is going to be more of a year-end recap, a wrap, I would say. And so we're bringing it back home with the original three co-hosts, myself, Mix, and Note. And we're going to be giving our takes on a couple of uh, just our favorites of the year. Some some top, top threes, some top players, top teams, but... Uh, we're going to put a little spin on it. I think we've all heard the conversations and the answers for who is the best player of the year. And we're not necessarily just trying to have another simple versus Zaiwu debate. We're trying to talk yeah, about... Yeah, let's talk about that for 30 minutes. That'll be exciting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody really wants that. I think everybody has their opinions at this point. Everybody has their takes. And uh, let's make it a little interesting. So let's start off with our top three favorite players to watch of the year. And let's start with Mix. All right. Number one... I feel like most people will agree with this is art. Um, I mean, art just fucking. I just love how ballsy he plays. Just doesn't give a fuck. Just, I just love seeing someone just fully commit to that type of style. Um, Elise is still like probably my second favorite to watch. Um, I just, I just love like between his mechanical skill and like how smart he plays and overall, just he's always just been one of my my favorite players to watch, and that hasn't really uh, that hasn't really changed. And my third favorite player, man, I don't know. I feel like that's a I think it's a tougher one. Maybe, yes. uh, maybe, maybe I'll go with Shiro. That's Shiro. Maybe that's 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 been a fun one to watch this year. Kind of seeing him, uh, really like live up to kind of like the potential that he's that we've all kind of talked about him and heard about him. And I really just like seeing him do well. Yeah, I think we'll talk more about Shiro later. At least I know I will. But I the way he just puts Gambit on his back at times is so fun to watch. Like he has like the, the right blend of aggression and just consistency and he's really sharp with pistols on top of that too. So yeah. it feels like a like, really I remember last year at like I am New York when they were they played like you know that MSI event before the uh the grand final or whatever. And I think yeah. Shiro there was like against, Gambit versus like against Riot Squad. No, 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 it was or they played no, no, I know they, they, played, they played Riot Squad yeah, at one point. They, it wasn't the finals though. On the stage though they played like some like random European mix. I forget who it was exactly. And I just remember Shiro going off for like 35 kills or something, like exactly what I wanted mm -hmm. to see on land on the stage. I was like, dude, I love this guy. Like, I'm so excited to keep watching him. Yeah. All right, Note, who's your top three favorite players to watch? I think Art's honestly a given for anybody this year. Um, I felt like just with online, there was a lot of, like, I found the aggressive styles a lot of fun to watch. So for me, I had like Art simple just because he can employ his style, but it's also just like he makes genuine, genuinely smart decisions. So it's just really fun to watch him like, like use his aim to work himself out of the situations where he rarely makes a mistake as well. And then I had for me, it was like a toss up between Yakinder and Grim. Grim because I thought Grim was a lot of fun to watch because it was like his first year playing against like top teams in Europe, especially recently. Uh, so watching him sort of break into that into those sort of uh, that echelon of CS and seeing play against some of those teams was a lot of fun to me. Okay, I'm going to go with mine. So uh, I'm going to do, I'm actually going to say Stown was one of my favorite players to watch on Heroic. I felt like he was, he developed so much in the last two years that this year I feel like he made a really big leap where I think, where I'd say before this year he was probably the best player on heroic and now i would say he's definitely the best player on heroic because he bails them out of so many different situations he's their secondary opera and at times i feel like he's legitimately better than katian actually 
Um, overall, I feel like he does a great job. Basically, right now, if there's anybody on Heroic whose demo you want to watch to learn how to play the game better in any facet, Stown is just an ideal player. He's good at aggressive stuff, passive stuff. Late round situations, he can be a support guy or he could just be the entry guy. I, I've seen him do it all this year. And I think he's really key to heroic su success that they've had this year. My second favorite player to watch has been Xantarez because there's something about him where I feel like when you watch him also, it's like he's in this like wolf hunter mode all the time where you just see like he gives he cares so much about his crosshair placement all the time. Like he's like one of those players that just super smoothly just tracks the headshot level of the entire map all the time. And well, he if he's like, like right next to his monitor, doesn't he? So yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he's just it just feels like he's always honed in. Like he's just he's this ideal aimer player. And even though I think his decision making isn't always uh, perfect in like tense situations. Like, the fact is that he's always going to take the duel. If he doesn't know what to do, he'll just swing, and that just makes him fun to watch inherently, even, even if it's not correct, correct. And my third is actually uh, Bubsky when he was on Mad Lions. Uh, I don't care for the Astralis Bubsky at all. I think it's pretty bad, actually. Um, I haven't liked anything about him on Nuke. But on Mad Lions, he was the guy that just, anytime they threw a strategy, and it was a 3v3 situation, and someone had to make a hero play, it was always Bubsky. And I really wish we got to see a lot more of that this year. And I think that we're not going to go over roster moves, but I think one of the worst roster moves of the year was him leaving Mad Lions because that just, this just like, he was, it was a fit, it was a match made in heaven with him playing such a like systematic style and then him leaving, especially with them having Peacemaker now. And I mean, they've had him before, but he just works so well in the Hunden, Hunden Remnants, Peacemaker kind of style. I, I loved it, but. Yeah, kind That's of along that. those lines. It's like someone you kind of reminded me of. Actually, a couple of people, especially like early in the year, was like Shush on on Mad Lions. Um, like the first like three or four months or so, I thought he was a ton of fun to watch. And when we played Mad Lions in Flashpoint One, I felt like he was their best player. Like he was just kind of like kind of like one of their role players almost, but was just fucking farming and just he was just so good, just so on point. And another person that I really enjoyed watching this year was Kusta, uh, mm -hmm. especially also early in the year when he was quite literally carrying Gen G. He had like a 1.20 rating or something, literally playing like all the bitch spots and stuff. Like I thought that was insanely impressive. It was so much fun to watch Kusta actually just popping off. I'll, I gotta say that I casted one of... Kusta had two 1v5s this year and I casted one of them and I just... Oh, I remember one of them. When I look back at it, the one against... Yeah, it was against you guys on, yeah. on Vertigo. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't do that enough justice because I literally thought... What what the hell is this? Like one v five, the game's gonna end. Like I'm kind of like wrapping it up, but then I was like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> like it was, holy it was, crap! It just happened like one by one. Like I didn't even understand what happened. I was like, did we just lose that? <laughs> like, yeah. Did we just get one v five and a fucking retake on A? Like what? what? Yeah, and you guys won, knew where like, he was like round. the whole yeah. time. I think I think yeah. you guys knew where he was the yeah. entire time, and he just killed everybody. So yeah. yeah, that's a that's a good shout though for Kusa there. I think uh, just for honorable mentions, like. VSM would be on oh, my yeah. list if he had more time to play more matches throughout this year, but he was honestly a lot of fun to watch uh, when he joined MRBR. Also, any other year, Zipnix would be in my top three easily. Like Zipnix has just always been one of my favorite players to watch, but this year, obviously, with Astralis, it just didn't happen as much. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, those are, those are my little two honorable mentions on this list here. I got one for you guys. How about Poison? I haven't heard his name mentioned here. 
How have you Hood's guys not enjoyed year. watching? He Poison? had a really rough year. Oh, he had a rough <laughs> year, but when he was on, especially on LAN early stages, I know you got to cast your mind all the way back, but come on. Yeah. When he was out aiming everybody, out out sniping, dueling everybody on LAN, that was that was banging. I know it has to be honorable mention. You can't actually put him up there because of the rough year afterwards, but well, it, it started off real promising. I'm just saying that much. It, I think the thing with Poison is that when I was watching Home Sweet Home Cups and Complexity was winning all of them, he looked so sick, like he did things that he shouldn't have done clearly, and he was bailing himself out with aim all the time, and it was it was a lot of fun to watch. And I think he was just riding that high for a while, but eventually, yeah, when not there, it's over, right? It caught up to him. Um, and I, I mean, if if you can keep pulling it off, and if you can keep hitting your shots, it's gonna be exciting. But after a while, I feel like I feel like his yeah. skill degraded. I feel like that's something. that's really hurt complexity because yeah. kind of playing the same and like. Not having that kind of impact from poison, I think, really hurt them in kind of the uh, the final stages of the year. Yeah, I could agree. Uh, all right, let's move on to our favorite teams to watch of the year. Uh, note: Who've you got? Uh, again, like Art was a given for the favorite players, Furia has to be a given for the teams here. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I'm outside Vitality because seeing them employ that six man roster. Uh, it's not even the fact that they're winning a lot. It's the fact that they employed that six-man roster really well and they were the first team to really do it. Also seeing Masuda come out and, and just play really well on that team has been really sick. Um, and then my third team was big because they were they were like the best team for a little while, like a number of months throughout the year. And watching them like tactically fit into, into the game was a lot of fun. Seeing Zenteris... Uh, go from being just a raw aimer to being like a little bit more reined in sometimes is also really good. Uh, and that whole team style also just fits really well. So those would be my top three. Yeah, I'd agree with Vitality. Um, I do enjoy watching Vitality a lot, even before, like when they had Alex, then afterwards, you know, kind of playing with the six man roster. I've always just kind of enjoyed the style that they play. Um, I assume kind of partly comes from their coach. Um, I assume he has a pretty good amount of influence. So I really enjoy watching them play, and I really enjoy watching them work in the six-man roster to finally get some event wins. It's been really enjoyable to watch. Um, I think Furia, yeah, is also just like a given one that most people will have. Just a ton of fun to watch art going around, and then even earlier in the year, like Serato just owning, and you know when Yuri pops off. And I really like enjoy seeing Henny kind of be super versatile as well. So kind of seeing Henny's spots change throughout the year has been really interesting to see. And my third, I'm gonna go like a little bit biased, obviously. Uh, I'm gonna go for XC9 because oh, I actually okay. I actually yeah. felt our T sides especially were pretty fun to watch. Like I feel like they were pretty. I agree. Like that kind of like set style and like the flashes. I think I think was actually like a lot of fun to watch games back and stuff. Yeah, I think the way I put it, um, I think in a Flashpoint Q and A was that the like, JT seems like the best uh, like freeze time quarterback kind of guy. Like he was really good at calling whatever strat felt like would work and you guys had really monster t sides a lot of the time i mean i feel like you guys were actually just carried by your t sides for most of the time i did see you guys have um some improvement on ct side i mean it felt like gradual and i i think i felt like you guys were fleshing the game out more but then the whole blow up of the team and everything i I mean i think cloud nine's in a much better place now to be fair but i think that it was a little bit of a shame because I did see the gradual improvements. Like you guys were incrementally getting better at uh, different different parts of the game, as opposed to just like the really sick strats. Because you got you guys, if any team 
in like ESEA open or intermediate or really honestly probably up to advance just wants to copy and paste strats out of spawn I think XC9 is probably the best team by far this year I think I don't really know any other team that run ran as many set plays as you guys did and it just takes the guesswork out of having a T side you just know that these strats are good yeah I think that shit's still super strong on T side like Mm -hmm. Like obviously, like obviously, it could have helped us a lot more, especially when you play better teams to have better defaults. Um, that's still something we needed to work on, especially kind of like Shawnee's mid round calling, you know, being like that solid voice, um, being able to like direct the mid rounds. But like having those like set stress in your back pocket that you know are just super sick and are gonna work is just, I think it makes it, it gives you a lot of confidence, a lot of things to fall back on to say your defaults aren't working so well. So that's always kind of something I'm gonna take into like future teams and stuff, making sure you have those kind of like set stress to fall on. I would be I'd be really interested if someone could come up with a stat for kills that were assisted by flash assist. Like I feel like MOTM on the T side for you guys, I felt like 70% of his kills were assisted by flashes. Like it literally like the setup was so great for him and really I mean actually nearly everybody running in on a lot of your guys strats. It just always felt like the utility or maybe like utility assisted kills or something like mm -hmm. I, I don't know how you could even do it i guess something that displaces somebody else like a smoke that they had to run through or a flash you know any of any of those um would be a super sick statistic so if people could break those down in the future that would be something i'd want to see because i feel like you guys had probably the highest of any team um on the t side um my favorite teams to watch this year um were fanatic fanatic was number one um, because I never knew what I was going to get by watching them. I always, you, you always know what kind of style they're going to bring that default heavy style. Um, they did integrate a couple more set pieces I noticed throughout the year, but they kind of like toyed with it. And then they went away from it. Like it was like really brief spurts where I would just see, oh my God, they ran two set plays and then I didn't see it for the rest of the tournament. So I was always a little confused by them, but when Fnatic breaks down rounds in 3v3s or 4v4 situations, like 2v2s, whatever, like late round situations, I feel like their mastery over the small, like just on the bomb site tactics was at such a high level, like playing off of each other. Like I always felt like they were going to do the right thing in terms of I play off of your first contact and I swing or let's double swing this angle together. It was always like their comms in those moments just seem super collected. And they always knew how they wanted to outline a win condition in like a late round situation. So I feel like Fnatic in those moments were really good, but sometimes they honestly just got blown out because yeah, like I their game plans were bad. I feel like I had watched them as much, especially this year online, but like especially like 2019, you know, like late 2019 when they when they were able to play on LAN, they were probably like one of my yeah top three favorite teams to watch because I just I love like Golden Style and like their their kind of like loose style that's like super hard to read, but you know when you have like those types of players that it really works. So I've really always enjoyed watching uh, Golden's teams. Yeah. Um, I'm going to basically pick the CIS of, or the Furia of the CIS region in Virtus Pro. I think by the, by the time Buster came back to the roster after his, his break away from the team, and they had Yakinder also, I think once that, that five-man lineup started ro really rolling, I think they played, like, I mean, I, I equate them to Furia because it, it's like Yakinder is the art. Actually, Yakinder is kind of like art on crack. Because you can like arts opening a temp rate is always like twenty nine percent. Yakinder's is like thirty five percent. Like this guy is in every opening duel, almost every round. It feels like for them. So uh, the way they play that, and then 
like every player top to bottom for me always it always felt like i knew what their role was like sanji's the obvious support uh james kind of like a mid late round closer with the op a lot of the time and then buster second in right behind you kinder just trading off of him and kicker is like a bailout guy with the rifle like i really enjoyed this team um and i think that also was helped by the fact that we got to know you kinder pretty well on this podcast so if people are interested in those obviously do a little bit of a rewind and check those back out how uh you kinder carries himself and how much they actually think about the game and then my third team isn't really a team but anybody that nip played against i was always interested in watching because nip is basically like the baseline super standard team and i could always basically if i always if i ever wanted to pick a team and like i wanted to learn how they play i would just watch a demo of them playing against nip because NIP is just so standard in a way that I could always feel out the team so much. Like, NIP never drew other teams if I, like, out of their comfort zone. So I would always just go to their demos. Like, if I want to see, like, oh, how does OG play? Oh, okay, how does Big play? I would just watch them versus NIP because I knew that I'm going to get a pretty clear-cut standard game. So yeah, kind I remember, of I remember watching them at, uh, yeah. a Kata, like, for Katowice when we played them. Like, watching them, it was, like, it was literally just the most standard, like, I yes. was watching about. Yes. I was like, if I could like find a team that just plays this most standard CS possible, it's literally NIP on like every single map. Especially, I think they still had, like Dennis at the time, mm-hmm. or I'm not. I'm not too sure, or... but just like around that time, they kind of got. They kind of like grew a little bit, I think, as like Campus came in, and like they still like pretty overall standard. But I know it's kind of like a bit more changes, maybe a bit more uh, randomness or aggressiveness. But like especially early in the year, it was literally just like the most default every single yes. round like it was just the most standard round of cs i could ever possibly imagine it was just that every single round when when uh when like tier two pros are like wait what the hell are they doing in practice why are they doing that like what what those tier two pros are complaining about is that the other team is not playing like nip like everybody wants to practice against a team that plays like nip it's just the most basic game of counter-strike it feels like so it and and nip kind of felt like a really good gatekeeper team in terms of like if you really want to be a tier one team you had to beat nip pretty consistently because they're never really just going to lose to a bet i rarely felt like they were they were going to be inconsistent like it was always like this team is going to finish in like like uh fourth place like top maybe fourth place to to sixth place in a tournament like it was super set for them like they could never make the leap to that super like like tournament winning but if you couldn't beat nip you're gonna go to that loop you're gonna just like bomb out of the tournament because they're just if you can't beat them you're some there's a hole in your game they'll find it and what what do you think they have to change to be able to make that level though? I'm actually curious. Like what what move like do you think it's a roster move that they have to make to be able to make that like break through that barrier? I think they need it's either something with their system or they need a player that like is going to take matters into their own hands at times and like have plays that kind of like add extra dimensions to their style because that style like is like a good baseline, but I feel like they don't have enough like uh, like wildcard type things, like they don't have enough branches off of that. And like the only player I can think of that maybe would do that a lot is like, I feel like maybe Rez needs to do it more because he's like yeah. been put in those kind of positions a lot more now. So they need some kind of like, because like when I watch teams, I'm always afraid of the teams that feel like uh, they have like a lot of different options, they have like a lot of different aggressiveness, and it makes it a lot harder to read them. And like when I'm able to like kind of easily read a team and what they're going to do every round and like they have such like limited kind of branches available and such like limited options, it makes it a lot easier to play against them and know what to expect. Yeah, I think um, like for one stat that struck that struck me when I was researching NIP more was that knock was not like 
you look at opera's opening kill rates for a lot of teams and pretty much the opera is first or second maybe third and i think knock was fourth on nip for opening attempts and the fact that he's not imposing himself with the weapon like knock's super solid as an opera like i wouldn't i wouldn't say he's like a top five or six opera in the world but he's probably like seven eight seven through ten seven through twelve best opera out there so that's the fact something that, like yeah if you if you go back and watch like a good example of this would be oc if you go back and watch him like a yeah. year ago like the epl finals and like epl yes. league his opening kill rate was literally like 10 percent or like nine percent yeah. or something like it was that's like one of the lowest today and like now and like especially towards the later stages of the team he was always like you know second third highest maybe first like he started taking matters into his own hands a lot more like you know I think it's especially important with an opera being able to like have certain plays that you want to make, you know, taking magic into your own hands sometimes because you're the opera, like you have the most expensive weapon in the game. You need to be selfish sometimes and like kind of have the game go around you. And it feels like maybe NIP doesn't really do that enough. Yeah, I don't think he takes initiative on the team. I don't know. Yeah, like you said, I don't know if it's a system thing or it's a player personnel thing. I think like players that I would notice doing some more aggressive solo plays were probably Hampus and Plopsky sometimes, but. Like, it, it's just so rare that I saw anybody yeah. taking any kind of solo initiative. It always felt like they wanted to play this, like, ABC Counter-Strike, one, two, three, just, like, play off of each other, make sure we're in the right position to trade. And which, that that's always the reason that they're a gatekeeper team is because that kind of style is always going to be, like, you're going to exploit teams that try to make bad aggressive solo plays against you, but you're never going to catch off the top, top teams because they know, like, oh, okay, this guy is at B Apartments on Mirage. He made noise. But he's going to wait for his team to catch up with him for mid for him to actually do anything. So I don't even have to worry about that position. And then other teams can take more risks because they know that they can read the opponent that they know that that guy's just going to sit there. Like, I don't even have to worry about him. So, um, all right, let's move on. So the best player of the year debate, I, I, there's no way we disagree about that. It's simple and Zywoo is the top two. So we're going to just skip that and go to who is our third best player of the year, each of us. So who have you guys got? I had device. I think, like, just without question, like it's between device and Nico, but device edged it out just based on the fact that he's been ridiculously consistent. Like the fact that it's what, like, five years now that he's basically guaranteed to be in the top five, and he's still winning titles. He's still being such a pivotal part of Astralis's like strategy. He's also like he never gets burnt out. Like he's just so he's Mr. Consistent, and that's what makes him so much fun to watch because he takes the same principle and the same style he's had and still applies it over and over and over. And teams just can't deal with that. And that to me shows like he's just absolutely world class. And like people will it's hard for a player like Device to get rated as a top one or two player when we have people like Ziwoo and Simple with their individual level right now. But he's always going to be... To me, he's he's just basically the best CSGO player. Like, it, it, like the greatest of all time CSGO player at the moment. Uh, until Simple... Unless Simple in the next like three years starts like winning title after title and demolishing teams, Device is definitely... like edging that out. So that puts him very firmly in the t- as a as a third best player this year. Yeah, I want to I really want to say someone other than Device like Yeah. <laughs> like I I want to I want to have like a different opinion but like I look and it's like it's the only people to pick that up. are even close it's like Flame F but I feel I don't think I'd put him above Device and like I wish like maybe if Nels had a better year and like was maybe more consistent maybe like Rops could have been up there. 
Um, yeah. He's had like a really solid year, but Malice just wasn't there enough. You know, they struggled too much this year, I think. And I don't think Ralph's really got a chance to showcase that, you know, he could be better than Device. So even though I'm like, I kind of want to pick someone other than Device, it's like, I feel hard pressed not to just pick Device and go super standard. All right. All right. I would, I would have to pick Device too. So let me, let me phrase it a little differently. Let's do instead of third best player, let's do third most important, like, so Simple and Zaiwu would still win this, and it's basically like third most important in the context of their team. So this could include like IGLing and just like a system that's built around a certain player. So I think my people that would come up to mind would be BlameF, Art. Um, I think those are like people that would jump off the page immediately. I think Sursen is even like super important for Big 2. Mm -hmm. So um, if I change that, would you guys change your mind? Or would Device still be the most important, like third most important for his team? Yeah, I might change that to like. See, I don't know enough about complexity in their insides and their like kind of like the job because I don't think Blightnuff is like a super amazing IGL or anything. I think he's like a pretty average IGL. I'm um, just kind of from what I've seen overall. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I almost kind of want to say like in terms of, like third most important, I would honestly like would like to put Rops there because I actually think he's been like that good, and I feel like everyone else in else has actually like struggled like that much. Like Waxic was uh, struggling before he left Mal's. Bymas hasn't really been there. Uh, you know, Frozen has done okay this year, but he's also, he just hasn't been, like, anywhere near Rops. And obviously, you know, Kerrigan obviously is, like, a really good IGL, so obviously it's not like Rops is, like, just alone and just has no one around him, but just in terms of, like, Rops and his impact this year, I might almost be tempted to put him, like, as third most important. Because I, and I think with the spots he plays and, like, kind of the versatility he's especially shown this year, I, I genuinely think he might be a contender for that. I think Rops is a really good shout. Um, yeah. I'm tempted. If if Navi had had a better year, I would say Electronic, just because when Simple and Electronic are both on, Navi are just steamrolling a lot of teams. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think they had enough of a enough of like impact in this year in terms of like winning titles to be able to for Electronic to be able to qualify over like a Device or a Rops. They were pretty good at the beginning of the year but yeah they, they, their fall off was pretty they were yeah it was like precedent i would still shout out yeah. i would still shout out elise for that i feel yeah. like i feel like liquid like he's been the only rock solid piece like the entire like naf is also pretty consistent generally but he's just not like you know as like not up like not as consistent as elise's and it feels like elise is just always like up there like 1.20 rating it feels like he's the only person that liquid has been able to consistently rely on like the entire year and I also know like he's a very vocal voice in the team. Like he's you know, he's a smart player. I'm sure he has a lot of say in the team. So I would also have like Alicia's like a shout for possibly the third most important player. On the device I, angle, can I just say that if you get replaced by Yugi, you should probably not be in the top three? Just saying. <laughs> Reasonable. <laughs> well device didn't get replaced by Yugi though. Wait, yeah, I think Yugi played for was it Zip and Yugi played with? Yeah, oh, Yugi yeah, played with. Played, yeah. I just Yugi, yeah, yeah. got them confused because they're both offers, dude. Well, yeah, Yugi, Yugi was rifling. Yeah, Yugi was rifling when he actually played oh, for Astralis. <laughs> dude, what yeah. is wrong with that Astralis team? They just needed like a body. Like they yeah, just needed literally. someone, a human, a human in the server. Because like they could have like um, put a straw like device on a rifle because obviously we know he's like a really good yeah. rifler. Maybe that would have made more sense. But I think their their explanation as to it was like device was still playing really well and like still in like that same comfort zone with opping, and he didn't feel it was like worth to take him out of that and go to rifling to you know have Yugi and Snappy in the team. So they just kind of stuck with device opping 
even with Yugi on the team. Well, as we've learned, we've got to take everything that they say with a grain of salt, unfortunately. But yeah. I feel like that's pretty. That's pretty like a solid explanation, yeah, though. Yeah, it's a sensible. Mm-hmm. On another note, since you mentioned Elige, uh, if I guess we sort of almost have to break it down by region in that sense. Mm-hmm. I would say Breezy is also like he has to get a shout out here as, as one of the like most pivotal parts of EG's success this year as well. Yeah, when he was good, they were really good. When he's yeah. just okay, they're when he loses ten percent, that team loses like forty percent of their yeah. ability. It's crazy. It's just um I would probably also throw in Brawlin. I feel like it's kind of a similar deal. If Brawlin is not playing like Brawlin is such a consistent firepower source for Fnatic that if he drops beneath 20 frags, they just it's they just can't win. It's just not even possible. Like so I think that he's super important for that team. I'm trying to think of like best like most important players on a few of the top teams like heroic also when Kadian was really popping off in the mid like mid late year that's when they were at their absolute peak um all their riflers were actually pretty good um including stown of course but i feel like it need they needed Kadian to ascend in a way for them to actually reach that number one position which they had for a few weeks this year um g2 was actually briefly the best also and i that was before like this was early in the year before Nico even joined, and I. So I think that's to, when Hunter was. Yeah, I'd have Hunter, to do right? Hunter. I'd have to yeah. give it to Hunter there. Um, I would honestly yeah. almost argue for Nexa when they were number one. I could see yeah, an argument was, for Nexa because not only is he yeah. is he in game leading, his like his style of like lurking some rounds, his style of like being able to anchor roles and just in general trade off like positions as well as it just gave them so much diversity. I, yeah. I think that Nexa actually went really under the radar this year as being super important for this G2 team. And like, like everybody wants to bring up Blame F because of all everything that kind of went on with complexity. But I think Nexa is actually probably a better leader and yeah. their fragging power is very comparable. And they play a lot of like the kind of lurky positions that it feels like are set up by the strat a little bit. So they are both kind of like making systems that benefit them in a way. And I think Nexa I and G2 uh... success has been a little higher. Yeah, I think playing off is maybe like a little bit more so in terms of like the system, like can, the team kind of like playing around him. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's like a coaching thing between Kata and Malik. Um, because I I do value like Malik is like one of the top coaches in the game, so obviously that might help Nexa in terms of like being a leader in an IGL having like a really good system around them to call. But obviously you can't know that. So yeah, obviously like Blam's fragging maybe was like better, but I was obviously really impressed with Nexa and also his versatility. Like when like Nico came into the team, having to switch a lot of his spots and. You know, still playing pretty well and still leading. This is pretty impressive. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I think that's most of the top teams. All right, so let's move on now to uh, the third best team of the year. Because I think, again, it's a, it's a Stralis Vitality 1 and 2, or however you want to break that one down. So who would you guys put as the third best team? I would personally go with Big. That's going to be because over the stretch of the year, I feel like G2... Was like pretty good earlier in the year, but then you know, kind of like middle later of the year, they kind of fell off a bit. They I feel like it's kind of been there the entire year. They also won one of the only lands this year. <laughs> they they're the only team to raise a trophy in front of a crowd. So that's yeah. you know, shout out big. Shout um, out Genji. Oh yeah, 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 true. Genji as well. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I feel like big just from like even the beginning of the year, from winning that Dreamhack Open, and you know, kind of their rise to elite status, even though it was in the online era. Um. They've been really impressive, like the whole year. I feel like they've never really like dropped down too hard. Like, I feel like throughout the most of the year, they've been like a pretty solid elite team, even if they weren't like always making the finals. 
So like over the stretch of the year, I'd probably have to give it to Big. Yeah, for me, it was between Navi, Heroic, and Big. And I in, in the end, I took uh, Heroic just because their run during their their portion of the year was also fantastic. And also remember the fact that when Hunden got banned, they lost like a pretty key part of their like structure. Well, lost. Uh, lost, <laughs> lost part of their structure. Um, well, so... I say that because the only thing they lost was Hunden being like in the server in the game. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like I feel like they really didn't lose that much. The social still pisses me off that they are still employing him. But you know, continue. Listen, they're being heroic. <laughs> hashtag being heroic. So, <laughs> hashtag oh being heroic. Oh man, but yeah. So so losing him in the server specifically, I think it's set them back a little bit. Uh, so I think they might have been able to have a little bit better, like stabilize their run a little bit uh, longer at least if Hunden had stayed in the server. Navi could have been a good shout for it, but they just the rest of them just did not do enough this year. Like Simple was sick; they were really good at the start of the year, and then they just fell off for too long because the rest of the team just like they won the one big land of the year but like they struggled so much against like especially in like their own region the cis region it felt like yeah like yeah. i felt like it was too up and down for me to give it to them over big so yeah it was like big big is like easily the best other shouted between big and heroic there yeah the i would agree for those yeah i would i would have to go with big um so i actually actually last night broke down how many weeks each team was number one and for people that are curious, Astralis were the number one team in the world for 16 weeks this year, Vitality for 10 weeks, Navi also 10 weeks, but seven of those were at the beginning of the year. And then Big was eight weeks long at number one, Heroic was three weeks, G2 was two, and the most anybody else, Fnatic and EG both had one week. At the EG? Top. Yeah, EG had one week. So oh, yeah, but, that was the thing. That's actually, I will give a shout out. To EG because there was like a space in where they literally just dominated NA for like three months, yeah, and yeah. I actually felt that was pretty impressive. So uh -huh. even though like separate regions, I would give a shout out to EG for that. I think that was a really impressive run, in my opinion. What do you that guys actually... think about like yeah. the whole Virtus Pro angle? Because I feel like if they had actually had more inter like the inter regional play was active a little bit more often, they wouldn't maybe they wouldn't be top three, but they would at least be honorable mention territory. Whereas I don't feel like you can give it to them because of all of the CIS specific play. Like they, they weren't playing the same well, ranked teams, like, right? I feel like they also like weren't even playing that well for like the first eight months of the year or something. They've, like they definitely only had. Later, yeah. They've yeah. only had this this set five for about four months. So yeah. just just like, and like that, so much was, longer. That's crazy. Was, and before that, it was pretty unimpressive with yeah. with Adrian and before that. Yeah, because they had they like they got Yakinder kind of uh, I think April ish this year, but they still were playing with Adren because Buster had some kind of like injury or or he couldn't travel to. I think he couldn't travel from Kazakhstan to their offices in St. Petersburg or Moscow or something like that. So they had to play with Adren because he could get the the visa or something right, like he right. could travel there. And so they just wanted everybody to be in the same space. And then Buster later could get there. And then that's when Adren finally took his leave from the team. So I, like if VP had this five for longer, right. I would say that they would have more of a case to be at the top. The thing is that I think one of the reasons they had such a strong end of the year is because like their honeymoon period for this team came in October or like September. Um, so that that boosted them a lot. And so the recency bias is going to be really high. Like, I don't think they can maintain this level of form for 12 months is the thing. Whereas I think it's really impressive what Big was able to do that kind of like 
for the whole year they were teetering on like a top five team so i think they basically just get like third right third yeah. for me I see what yeah. You're yeah so i gotta give it to i gotta give it to big i didn't write this one down but i actually want to do this now because we talked about eg what do you guys think were the top roster moves of the year oh I'll just start. I'll just start because I'll give you guys some time because the EG thing brought it up for me. I think Zeus to EG was literally like the best. Like, I think that was for a while the best move of the year. I wouldn't say it's the best overall because I think the best move overall was getting Tessis and Nico on Heroic. I think mm -hmm. those two players mm -hmm. made Heroic like from a team that's kind of meddling like, you know, 15th best in the world to like they're they've been top seven for pretty much the entire year because of that move, in my opinion, just made them so much more stable and strong. Uh, I'll I'll ask you on that one for for having Nico and Tessa. So I'll say that Masuda to Vitality. I'll okay. kind of go along those lines, and I'll say Vitality adding a six man. Yeah. Um, I actually feel that was really important to add them actually adding one a bit more firepower on some of the maps, and you know, kind of giving them that like because I don't think they had won an event before they added Navera, right? They've gotten second a few times, and so I felt like adding Navera was like a really crucial step to actually getting past that point and actually being able to get some like event wins and really kind of like take that next step as, as a team. And I also felt like kind of along those lines, Vitality made a lot of good moves this year, like having a, like adding, having Apex IGL instead of like trying to add like another IGL or, you know, having like shocks do yeah. it or something. I felt that was a really good move. And I actually genuinely felt like that was going to work from the very moment that like they announced that. Cause I felt like people were kind of underrating Apex's knowledge in Counter-Strike and just because of like his old play style and stuff. So kind of Apex being moved to IGO, I think was also a really good move in wake of Alex having to leave the team. Also like mega credit to Xtos, right? Their yeah. coach. Yeah. Like yeah. the fact that they made that work is is just you have to give credit to them. Well that's an extension yeah. of what Josh was just saying though. Like, do we think that they're gonna be good as good calling wise on land when Xtas can't talk the whole time? How much of it is Apex? It's impossible to really know from the outside, but I'm Yeah, I feel like a good amount that. I'm pretty sure a good amount of it is Apex. I'm not sure how much X, X, I don't even know how to say his X, name. Xtaz. 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 Okay. Yeah. It's like instead so, of a Q, it's an A, basically. Yeah. So and remove all the extra letters that are randomly <laughs> in there. So Xtaz, um, I, I don't think, I doubt he talks like that much. I actually feel like Apex is the type of guy that strikes me as someone that really wants control if he's going to be leading and like he, he has a lot of say. So Obviously, it depends how their six-man roster kind of continues to pan out. And obviously, yeah, it's impossible to know for sure. But in my opinion, at least, I think Vitality will continue being an elite team on LAN with Apex as, as their in-game leader. I think yeah. Xtaz's contribution comes more into like preparation and, and just being ready with a game plan and having their general mm -hmm. like team in the right atmosphere. Because so. I know this, this was like, like a really small thing, but like... Even before when Alex is still on the team, like Apex is like still like the person that was like scheduling their scrims and stuff. Which is like a small thing, but it's kind of rare to see like a player in general like doing that. So mm -hmm. it kind of just showed to me there was like like a lot of a level of like leadership almost there. Like it felt like he was, you know, he had like a big say in the team already. So him going to IGO, I felt like wasn't too surprising to me. That was actually what I I think when Alex first announced he was leaving, people were like, Oh no, Shox is gonna IGL now or something. And like I kind of felt from the moment I was like, I I bet it's gonna be Apex. Like he seems like that seems like the next logical step in his career. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out super well. Um, let's move to top three newer players. So I say newer players because 
these guys aren't like no one. I don't think we're gonna pick people that have literally just started playing Counter Strike because I don't think any of us know anybody like yep. that. But people that have kind of like the way I I took it is the three players I picked are basically players that were like last year playing just quali a lot of qualifiers, maybe some B tier, maybe one A tier event, but mostly are now. Playing All right, I got two. A -tier I got two already. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so more bias, floppy and OC um, are kind of like my two my two obvious ones in my opinion. <laughs> I were they play they were like playing last I feel like year. Floppy though. is cheating, yeah. Floppy's yeah. definitely <laughs> been up. He said he's a newcomer for me. You said they played one A tier event. Okay, maybe he did okay, maybe he did, but I just okay, so this is super subjective, of course, but I don't I don't really see him like that. Like I don't okay, you could carry on though. Carry on. Like how how do you why do you think he's he's there? <laughs> <laughs> he played pro like didn't he play pro league in twenty nineteen? We played Pro League Finals, that's it. Uh, yeah. Okay, I guess. Like, all he played... I guess that's true. I guess you're... You know what? When I do look at his stuff, he played Fragadelphia's last year, so yeah. Okay. yeah. I guess he is, an, he is a newcomer. I, guess I, think we, I, think, I think we just know him more because we're yeah, all part of, like, yeah, the NA scene, so we've been following them for a while. Yeah. Compared to, like, I think Europeans probably didn't have as good of an idea of who he was that's uh, true. before this year. That's Same true. with, like, OC. Um, but yeah, like, OC especially, like, just... Improve loops and balance this year. Like I can't see that enough. Like how much he improved from last year to this year. It's genuinely insane. Um, and yeah, floppy. Just I always kind of felt just even from the moment I kind of got into a team with him, I felt he's going to be successful. He just has like the right attitude generally when it comes to playing. He's like pretty unselfish. He generally makes the right plays, and he has that ounce of you know kind of star power and you know making his own plays as well. So it wasn't wasn't didn't really surprise me to see those two come on. Um, man, who's another one though? Here, you, one of you guys go. I gotta think uh, of a third. Okay, well, I, I took Grim just because you can't I, not take Grim this year. I, yeah. I see yeah. Grim as, like, I see Floppy, too. Like, I guess yeah, I've just sure. known these guys for too long that I yeah. almost don't see them as newcomers, but yeah, okay, but he is. When I looked at his Liquipedia also, I thought I saw he played a lot of qualities and things like that last year, so it, it is a fair shout. But he played Pro League back in 2018, so that's why True. I kind of was, I was kind of like, I don't really want to include him, but he did impress, I think he impressed the globe this year for sure exactly yeah i think the the level he hit this year against the sort of teams he was playing was just a different level versus the past like he yeah. he really hit his stride this year and being able to make it onto something like liquid sort of just makes him be a breakout player in that sense like mm -hmm. even though he's been putting up really good numbers for a while it's just he he sort of attained that next level this time around uh, yeah, he showed and then, that he could do it against higher competition for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before it was just um, domestic. Yeah, and then as I I've already mentioned him, but Masuda also has to be one of them for me, just because being able to go into Vitality and being able to win titles already, being like a competitor, being a top one team, is also in your basically your first year on like a top mm -hmm. top team is just. I mean, Masuda is even more impressive because he was literally playing like advanced before he was on Vitality, so yeah. that's like a true yeah. newcomer. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then for me, I had Yakinder just because he, even though it's been a relatively short amount of time that he's been like uh, on VP, just the fact that that team managed to make like the strides that they did with him being able to implement his aggressive style into that team and being able to really like change their dynamic and mm -hmm. basically make them the Furia of CIS made them yeah. be like that that's basically what allowed vp to become what they are right now and then as an honorable mention uh i have to say zeppa just because i think 
he if you were watching uh the north american matches then you have to mention zeppa because he like chaos would not be where they are without him yeah like no question zeppa was actually on my list as well uh he's on my list i think zeppa just uh like less known than floppy and grim for me but i think this Mm -hmm. year he really just made a name for himself uh i i feel like it was always stirring in the mdl na kind of tier two scene that this guy was gonna be good and you, you do hear that a lot in NA, so you kind of like wait for them to prove it. And I, I think Zeppa really did prove it. Like he looks like he's going to be a really solid piece for any team. Like you could put Zeppa on most top fifteen teams right now, and barring language barrier, I think he would just be a super solid rifler. Like yeah. he could, yeah. if you literally just put him in for Isa on OG, for example, you wouldn't even really know the difference. I think if, if you took the nameplates off, I think they're yeah. just both super skilled like that. Speaking uh, of OG, like some you names I kind of just thought of. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Mentu counts as a newcomer this year. I would say yeah, uh, because last year he was playing B tier events and yeah, lower. I like OG, OG only played like one or two events it, last year. Yeah, right? it was on alternate attacks. They, he won Meisterschaft with them yeah. against against Sprout. Like that was his biggest accomplishment yeah. before this. And uh, one thing Alexi B even mentioned is that he wasn't even opping on that. Team. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't an opera. I I actually was looking at this guy back when I was still in United as like a potential guy to pick up. And like he was literally like a super aggro rifler, like you know, like playing mm-hmm. like a lot of he's like kind of like a second opera playing some anchor spots, but he was like literally like their hard entry like every single round, and still like just absolutely fragging out. And mm-hmm. so for him to go to opping from that was was really impressive. And uh, obviously Navarra is another really good newcomer, kind of speaking to our vitality fucking boner that we have. I, I was thinking, I was actually thinking about Navarra a little bit more because I was kind of like he was knee-jerk reaction for me in recency for recency bias was that Nivera was really good but then i really started thinking about what i saw from him at her- on heretics and he just felt really streaky and really yeah he was good at and... he was good at first on heretics like when they had like the first yeah. few good runs and then it seemed like things kind of went downhill after that but i kind of questioned how much like how much is that on him how much is on that the fucking mess that was just heretics yeah uh, before he went to vitality I'm... so i'd still cast him as like an honorable mention maybe yeah, I would like my actual top three. Right. He would make like a top eight for me. But when I looked at his stat, okay, so I actually broke, I looked at uh, his HLTV stats for this year on Heretics. Against top 10 teams, he was 0.86 rating. Against top 30 teams, he was a 0.98 rating. And he was like just like 1.1 player on Heretics. And they played a lot of bad teams. So I, I just think like, I think what they've done with Nevera and what they saw in him and how they've capitalized on it is incredible so i give a lot of i almost give more i give actually more credit to vitality's co- uh, extas and and apex over nevera even though nevera is doing it in the server like i've seen this guy at really low points this year like in other rmr events with heretics playing in them and he's been really really underwhelming so good for good for vitality and good for him to capitalize on the p- positions he's been put in on that team but i just i kind of like can't put him in my top five even he didn't activate himself basically like yeah. he was activated by apex and excess and that too yes that's what i i would i would agree with that uh to continue with mine so one would be yakinder or zeppa zeppa and yakinder are both there for me uh for a lot of the reasons we've already mentioned and my three would be shiro actually on gambit i think that he's been like again like last year again he kind of played some events yeah, he played some events but this year was where I saw him play a lot more EU competition. And I think he just showed that in the CIS region, um, barring Navi 
and VP players. He's just, I think he's just the best player flat out. Uh, you include everybody on Spirit, everybody on Gambit, any other teams, you know, her, uh, like Namiga and stuff like that. And I think he's just leaps and bounds above most of those players. So I'd have to give it to Shiro. I think he's just kind of owning, he's, compl- he's just owning that region right now for me. Uh, one more honorable mention I want to make is Junior from Triumph. Uh, oh, yeah. He also That's had a, a good really one. excellent year. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one, too. Yeah, Junior, Junior instantly impressed me, like, especially on his CC sides. Um, I feel like T sides, maybe Triumph could do more, or whatever yeah. team he goes to could do more to activate him. But um, Junior on like, their CT sides was like, so impressive, like, the impact he was having and like, his, you know, he was not afraid to make plays and take matters into his own hands, which I absolutely love yeah. in an opera. I think that's super important, you know, not being afraid to take a risk and you know, ha- like, try to like, have a lot of impact. I think Junior's probably been, obviously, along with Grim uh, earlier in the year, like their biggest reason for success. For me, yeah. it feels almost like a device in them making. Like, obviously, it's a really like ridiculous comparison to make right now, based on the achievements between the two. But just in terms of the style, like he knows when to take his individual fights. He knows when he can aggress. He knows when he has to fall off, which is sort of what Device's opping became very like consistently known for. Uh, so to me, if he if he can keep that level up and also just evolve on it more, you can you, you can catch up to that sort of level in three, four years, maybe. Two, two, three years, let's say. Yeah, I would uh I think that's a really good nomination or honorable mention. Uh okay. Let's bring this now to the Patreon question. We are still taking these. God, I forgot to shout it out in the beginning. That's fine. All right. We have a Patreon still. We have a Patreon still. Be sure to donate. Uh, you can get questions on the show. Uh, this week, Pranogo, who's it from? I, it's the guy that changed his name like eight times. It's Fearsock, dude. Gotta love yourself some Fearsock. Fearsock. All right. Fearsock is asking us, with the steady decline of the NA scene over 2020, we've seen Brazilian teams trying out NA talent. Uh, Junior. I think, I think you meant Junior to Furia there. Yeah, Junior made rumored to Furia, uh, Swisher and Booby to Yeah Gaming are examples, and it's actually been the vice versa as well. Like kind of like the inner tangling, intermeshing of Brazilian and NA people are playing with each other. Rumored fall into Liquid on top of that, and we've seen Taco and Steel in the past to Liquid. Um, over the course of 2021, do we think this c- trend will continue, and is a merger between the two scenes feasible? Yeah, I think it'll continue. I think that's also just a condi- like a kind of symptom of the NA scene as a whole. I feel like that's going to happen with NA players going to EU teams as well. Like I think Twist is like rumored to phase at the moment, or you know, rumored intoxism or whatever. So just I feel like just in general with the NA scene, like the lack of actual opportunities, and like I feel like there's more talent in NA than there are opportunities. And I think even like European and Brazilian teams are seeing that now. And so you'll see like. You know, like if Chaos doesn't find an org, maybe Zeppa will like find a European team that will want to take a chance on him. You know, Twist is you know looking to play on a European team. I'm pretty sure. So I think it's I think yeah, it's pretty just natural. And especially with the Brazilian scene hasn't like been doing like too hot. And you know they don't have like unlimited options either. Like you know they're they're not like just producing mad amounts of talent at the moment. So I think it just kind of makes sense for both scenes just to especially with most Brazilian teams already living in NA just to like kind of mingle a bit more and kind of like adapt our teams to English a bit more and I think it makes a lot of sense. For yeah, both I agree re- with that. I think I think it's gonna continue happening. I also think it has the potential to just be a very good trend in North America in general because right now to me a lot of what the upcoming North American players struggle with is like 
decision making and being able to consistently like not throw away their lives in situations and being able to properly like adapt and make reads rather than just go for aim duels and and just like play their own North American style in that sense. So with Brazilian teams like picking apart some of these more talented North American players and giving them the sort of base to understand some different maneuvers in the server, I think that'll just help in general in terms of the the way the talent can develop. Because for example, when when Stewie went to MIBR or to SK, I guess back then, uh, the sort of experience he got just individually from playing under Fallen helped him massively when he went to Liquid as well. So like being able to pull some of the the key elements from the Brazilian style of the game uh, is also just in general going to benefit North America as a whole. I think. Um, also, with like, I think there's like three other or two other Brazilian teams rumored to come to North America, like the the ex boom lineup. Boom lineup. Yeah. And there's also that uh, there's also like Taco's team with Dumao and whatnot. Mm. Uh, that's apparently also in the works. So with those, it's just going to be more teams that can sort of pull from this North American talent pool. And I think it'll only benefit us in the end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think it's terrible. I think it should stop. No, I, there's no hot takes on this show, honestly. So honestly, I just tried making one up, but yeah. there's no way to argue against it. Yeah. I think, I think that the region should, uh, should definitely intermingle more. I think it just benefits both regions. Uh, if it's, I think the only thing about the is a merger between two scenes feasible. It's as feasible as it's fi fiscally uh, yep. available for for the orcs. If, if if Brazilian orcs can send their players to NA and play, they probably they should at least at least NA if not Europe, and then we'll just get more teams that are kind of like these hybrids. And as also as long as people can handle the language barrier, because I don't know, yeah. like, I don't know, for example, like how well certain players, even SK, some of the SK guys, like, I don't know how well Phelps ever really spoke English, for example. So I would love to see him be with some NA players, but I just don't know if it's possible because he can't speak English as well. But, you know, that's just a case by case basis. But for the long for the most part, if if it can work, then they should try because I mean, we're already kind of hamstrung as much as we are in the NA space, so it would just benefit the regions to just put together the best rosters that they can in terms of uh, potential and skill, and then just see where they can go on an international level. And it kind of combines like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it also kind of combines like two separate, almost like um, like scenes, like brands, like fan bases. Uh, yeah. I would say because mm -hmm. like you have like kind of like the more European slash NA fan base. You know, the, like the primarily English-speaking fan base, and you have Brazilian fan base where it's like, it feels like every single Brazilian player on Twitter has like at least 100k followers. Like yeah. I looked at TRK's Twitter the other day, and he was already at like 120k, and I was like, dude, what in God's name? Like this scene is ridiculous. Like I feel like if you just... can even just type Portuguese on Twitter, you will literally yeah. gain like 50 percent more followers. I, wow, you know Ryan at Rush B Media's Twitter. Yeah, strategy I, 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 yeah, I just like like Mayer tweeted he was like looking for a new team. And like, you know, I used to talk to Marin, so like I said, you know, good luck, you know, you're a good player, wish you luck. Yeah. And I got like got like 150 likes and like 30 <laughs> new followers <laughs> just from that. And I was like, dude, holy shit, I need to do this more. <laughs> yeah, just interact yeah, with them. That was that's basically a, a very similar point to what I was gonna make with like having the the Brazilian fan base able to also get activated in North America a little bit more is also just a major benefit. It's also yeah. my hope is that it 
like those Brazilian players who know how to activate their fan base help the North American players a little bit who lack instead a fundamental of understanding. Down. Yeah, like instead, they instead lack of a, accuse them. Yeah, they lack a <laughs> fundamental like misunderstanding of how to activate fan bases. I think for a lot of players, um, and I think that having Brazilian players who sort of know how to work with that and able to even if it's not necessarily North American fans that they help activate. Even if you bring more Brazilian fans uh, into liking North American teams, uh, maybe they get familiar with some of our players and don't accuse them of cheating when they break out uh, be great. against some of their teams. That'd be pretty good. Thanks watch, so much, uh, Zip. Watch uh, next edition to Liquid with Fallen joining after is going to be Leaf. Leaf joins Liquid in place <laughs> of somebody. <laughs> that would just break the internet. That would break Twitter. Um, all right. Let's get back on track with our annual recap. Uh, what were the top matches of the year for you guys that you guys think are worth rewatching? Uh, I think no question the Navi versus Charles Ayem Kedavice's semifinal. Uh, mm-hmm. Just based on simple and electronics performance, and that it was just a beauty to watch. Honestly, um, also one of the last land matches that happened. So yeah, without question one of my favorite matches of the year, I would say. Yeah, um, like the Blast, uh, like early in the year, one of the ones I really enjoyed that was really ex- unexpected was Complexity versus Strollas. Um, yes. Just because I don't think anyone was really expecting Complexity to come in and actually win that. And I always enjoy seeing Obo shit on some kids. Um, <laughs> it's been too long. It's been yeah, it's been too long. I'm still waiting. I can't wait, for, I can't wait till it happens again. Um, I feel like in terms of like the online era, I feel like actually one of my favorite ones, obviously this is biased, but uh, Cloud9 versus Complexity, kind of like the first matchup of the Juggernaut versus the Colossus, I think was a really good and hype matchup. And I think that was, it was... That was fun. Yeah, I think that one was genuinely like a really fun matchup with a really good story to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really think of any at Katowice that still like stand out to me. Um, like Dreamhack, the final, I felt I really enjoyed watching. That's probably mostly just because I was there in the crowd. That was, you know, Anna? I missed Wait. that. Oh, the Leipzig one? Yeah, Leipzig. Leipzig. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I but, remember the, the Anaheim games pretty well, too. Um, I think the the Complexity versus Furia one was pretty good, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't put that on my, top, on my top list, though. I think the two games that I remember the most vividly are Mad Lions versus MIBR Grand Finals Flashpoint 1 because of the choke that mm-hmm. MIBR had. I think that's just, that was just great. That was crazy. That's great uh, content. Yeah, that was just that was just an excellent game. Um, in terms of just how you could see, you could just feel like even though it was all online, there's a few games this year I feel like I watch where I could feel I could, yeah, I could still feel pressure. like the energy and like yeah. the pressure in the end. Like the Colossus vs Juggernaut was one of them. Yeah, like the Flashpoint one final was another. Yeah, the, uh, the upper bracket semis of um, Blast, the Blast Premier Fall finals that just happened. Yeah, uh, between Vitality and Navi as well, the one that was a two over Vitality, good. but both maps overtime. That right. one also felt really intense. Same, same yeah. sort of energy. Mm-hmm. Some under some underrated ones for the beginning of the year that I really enjoyed were the EG versus OG matches on LAN at Blast. Kind of like oh, yeah. OGs, like kind of coming yeah. out party against EG. I felt those were some really enjoyable matches to watch. Uh, I would say also, uh, just for the sake of the novelty of it, the Furia, like basically the reason why I almost feel like we made the, the podcast, the Furia versus 100 Thieves Vertigo game, uh, I am New York, just because they busted out the boost and it was super, like, just intriguing and no one mm-hmm. really has done it even since then. 
So I think that's, from a novel standpoint, just a really good one to look back at and just see how a team had to adapt to something live in a game that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. I think you guys are forgetting one of the most important matches of the year, though. Uh, it would be Chaos versus MIBR at CS Summit 6 qualifying. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, that actually might be my favorite match of the year. No lie. <laughs> MIBR losing to Chaos playing with their coach and then <laughs> accusing Leaf and sending a massive witch in on him is just. Wait, one don't of the forget absolute... they accused MCE as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. They accused <laughs> MC fucking EOT. Jesus Christ. Like, that whole saga was just absolutely fucking ridiculous and genuinely made me lose kind of respect for some of them. But, uh, like, yeah. Just. Just absolutely insane scenes and chaos beating MIBR with a stand, and then just the amount of salt that came from Brazil and those players afterwards is just unfathomable. Like it's just unreal scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was when Astralis or when Heroic played Astralis in the DreamHack Open Fall. I think it was. Uh, I think that was pretty interesting, also. But it's kind of lower on my list. Was that the one where Nicola Nyholm offered uh, Katie an out and said, come to my office and we'll settle this mono e mono yeah, in a ringed I, show match? Gladiator yeah, style? I think there, that was that was part of that, that hype building up for the, the Danish Derby. Yeah. Everybody in Europe says Derby. It's Derby, yep. guys. It's Derby. It's not Derby. Also, for me, like the most <laughs> the most intense matches of the year for me, no lie, were some of our matches versus Envy when we kind of like the <laughs> talk going on. Yeah. Like me and Ricky versus like Legia and Nifty at times. Like mm-hmm. that's it. Those games were actually so intense because they were like so close every time. And then we'd barely win and we just shit talk on Twitter after. Like we fucking stomp them or something. It was that shit was too funny. Yeah. Um I think an honorable mention. I actually don't know if you guys might have mentioned that I missed it, but uh honorable mention goes out to the Navi Vitality Beijing Hygiens uh final. Yeah. The mm. best of five. Because that was, was a banger. Just, that oh, was, was that yeah, the that was a sick match? That was Vitality's first like trophy. Was that the reverse sweep, finally... right? Yep, that was a reverse yeah, sweep. Yeah. And they finally broke their streak of, of not getting trophies as well. So yeah, I forgot the way Vitality actually broke it, it was reverse sweeping Navi, which is just just perfect. I don't it's know. Simple going hundred and eighteen and seventy. That's kind of like a really predictable <laughs> script, but you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah Anders has like, really got to work on this. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Anders is stuff to work on a simulation scripting. Honestly. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a bit too predictable at times. Uh, I would put. I think the best game, the best individual map at Flashpoint Two was probably VP versus Mad Lions on Train uh, map number three. Uh, just felt like. Mad Lions were going to win for so long, and then VP just kept crawling back slowly, like even with man deficit rounds and things like that. Um, that was pretty that good. Ivy time. push, man. That refresh, Ivy push. It was, <laughs> was, oh, it's a thing of beauty. <sighs> for VP side, of course. I think that's a good. <laughs> that's a good recap. I think that's good. Um, let's let's move on uh, to the top broadcast talent of the year. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say myself. On Why? this one, I'll I'll uh, say Maui Snake. Yeah, Thank dude. you for sure. Come on, no Thank cat. You, I'll actually go. My favorite to always watch is actually Maniac. I just yep. I always mm-hmm. love watching Maniac on the desk. I feel like he always has like really good points. He I just like I just like listening to him and like I I like his takes on Twitter and stuff too. As like the matches are going on, it feels like 
he's someone that I can tell, like, whenever he's doing a match, you know, like, genuinely cares about each match he's doing, it feels like, you know, is genuinely interested. So Maniac is, like, pretty consistently, like, probably my favorite, my favorite uh, broadcast talent. Yeah, I really like, uh, I really liked when I was on the desk with him briefly for a DreamHack event, I think the Open Fall, we were together a couple of times on it, and yeah, he's just, he's, like, gentleman, like, kind of persona is... It feels like that's really how he is. So it's really, uh, it's, it's great. One thing I really like about Maniac on Death is that he has a psychology background. So a lot of, his, like, he can bring in that sort of perspective into his an- analysis as well. Like, he'll talk about mm-hmm. the team's mindset going into it. He'll talk about, like, they can be psychologically broken from certain things. Like, I really like the fact that he can bring both his game expertise and his, like, psychological, uh, like, degree yeah. into, into his analysts analysis why i can't talk right now sick um but one other like another thing i want to mention is i i actually was pretty impressed by haka and alan header at uh at flashpoint i think they were both like two really good basically newcomers to like the top top end of broadcast talent yeah i'm uh i'm a fan as well i i want to i want to shout out uh sponge live skybox breakdowns are like that in I, I mean, I think there was a lot to be desired on ESL broadcast, but that was one thing that no other TO was able to even get close to in terms of freeze. Like, Sponge was so fast at just bringing up a skybox of the previous round and just showing in the freeze time what just happened so that people could appreciate it more. And it made you think about, you know, certain macro elements to the game or how a strat worked that nobody else was able to do. And I think my call out for other talent is learn how to use Skybox because I it took me like a couple of hours to just get familiar with it and I was able to do it at Flashpoint but like I don't think any I think it's really daunting as an application because there's a lot of settings you can use and like a lot of like little features and gizmos but once you kind of figure out how you want to use Skybox it makes watching the game back so easy for casual viewers that I really wish everybody did it because it's such a great tool. We should be using the tools that we have and in a way supporting the companies that are actually giving us more w- more to work with on our space. I think like like stat like you know frag replays are great. Stats stats helix is also very good for breaking down like rotations or things like that or where a smoke landed, but skybox is like you can't get anything as good as skybox as fast as skybox. So like that's like for any broadcast talent or prospective broadcast talent out there, use f- just freaking use Skybox. Like it's really good. It's really, really useful. I feel like, I feel like Sponge is so ingrained in my mind that I like almost forgot about him. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm oh. just so used to him. <laughs> Sponge is just, he's just so, he's just excellent, right? Like it's yeah. really hard to, to be able to take him out of the question. Mm-hmm. So when I saw top broadcast talent, I was like, Sponge was at the bottom of my list, but not because, <laughs> not because he's, I, I honestly think he's like probably top one in terms of like if I was to rank my favorite analysts, but he was just at the bottom because wow, like I was thinking I was just thinking like <laughs> no, these other people have come up, whereas mm-hmm. like Sponge has just been Mr. Consistent, like Super always solid. incredible. He's so so yeah, it's almost like he he was just at the back of my head in that sense. Um, yeah, I'd love I but as you were saying, I'd love to see more analysts use Skybox because being able to break segments down in like a 30 second freeze time and bring that sort of knowledge to like some more casual viewers really opens up some of the the opportunities for like more in-depth analysis and content later on as well yeah i think i think what like 
what it allows is because everybody can watch CSGO and just be and maybe I'm going on, I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. I think everybody watches CSGO and really appreciates the aim, the fragging ability. Sometimes you'll see an exec kind of because the observer does a really good job of showing where the smokes landed on a bomb site or something with like a third person perspective. But it's super fast and it's brief and and it's hard for like a casual viewer to see that and then like realize, OK, now I'm in the eyes of a player. That's how it's going to break down now. But what he did with Skybox is like, like, I remember there was this one thing where Sponge showed just how concerted Madline's effort in the mid round was to find more information on Vertigo A ramp. And it was just like, dude, that just showed exactly why Mad Lions won that round. It showed the intricacies of playing that side on the map. Like it just it elevates your understanding of the game. And when someone understands the game more, they're going to watch more. That's just how it is. It, it draws more like casual viewers into the deeper side of the game and makes them long term fans. So I, I like have to just give a huge shout out to Sponge because he was able to do that for anybody watching those ESL broadcasts. Um, OK, shout let's out uh, shout out to that's my pick. I think Wanders as well, like just to, to your point about like getting viewers in, he created a lot of content this year just on his YouTube channel and it allowed a yeah. lot of people to improve their appreciation for pro players and pro teams and all that stuff in a similar fashion to what you're talking about with Sponge. Obviously, it's external to the broadcast, so less people are going to be overlapping, but I know for a fact there's a bunch of people who watch those videos and then like when the player that he was looking at was playing their next pro game they were like oh let's go see if uh you know i learned anything or let's go see if there's like a connection or something there's something else that they could bring to the, the uh conversation so to speak we'll get to the top pieces of content right now all right so that's a that's a good precursor though uh and a good uh like was well put pronogo now we'll do it well now we'll all get into it top pieces of content Pronogo's already got his shout out for the Launders uh, POV breakdowns. What, what else have you guys liked in terms of like video content primarily? Uh, I really liked the addition of like the mic'd up segments that Blast started. Uh, oh, yeah. Once they started doing them, then like ESL obviously hopped on and then Flashpoint hopped on. Uh, so just bringing that in, I think, also helped elevate uh, not only the broadcast, but also just viewers for the game in general. Because mm -hmm. Obviously, you can't air like certain strategy elements of it, but being able to hear like the occasional communication between teams of like I'm flashing here, smoke here, even if it's not a set strat, but just like mid round stuff, I think that helps like more casual viewers appreciate the tactical aspect of the game and also like adds on to the whole broadcast elements of it. And that way, when when you hear the mic'd up segment and then you hear Sponge breaking down like the strat on his own, it sort of gives you a bit more appreciation for the for the layers that go into something like that. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll kind of I feel like it's a double edged sword, and we've talked about the drawbacks of showing too much with those yeah. mic'd up segments. But I'm gonna say that they were entertaining, and that I did enjoy hearing all the comms. Like I'm not gonna lie about it. Like I know it's kind of wrong in a way, and if we take it to the like like where it would go ultimately, like we would start showing all the comms of all the players all the time. And I think that's that's bad. That is actually bad for the scene. But I will say that I'm OK. It's like it's like Blast took the hit for everybody else because we yeah. did want to hear those things <laughs> like in all honesty. What I hope to see next year is seeing like I, I know like it's been said that it'd be like 
harder to do because you'd have to hire someone dedicated, but I honestly wouldn't even mind seeing like someone dedicated to helping production with what can and can't be aired in terms of team comms because having someone who actually has like some knowledge about what teams would be comfortable sharing and being able to make that sort of executive decision opens up so many doors because then you have like segments that aren't going to leak strats but it also allows you to give people more perspective on what teams are doing uh, and how they're communicating certain situations as well so i'd love to see like a dedicated analyst just to help the producers for for stuff like that next year for me obviously i really liked all of the content the flashpoint did this year um just like with the general interviews and like the uh player profiles and you know things like that like yeah, I remember the flat, like the A core one for Flashpoint one was something I really enjoyed. Um, kind of a smaller thing that I enjoyed, just like to add to a broadcast, I guess. I guess maybe this doesn't necessarily count, but um, I really enjoy like the little pieces that Blast had in between like halves and stuff. You know, if like the players doing like KZ together and stuff, and you know, all those kinds of like little scenes. I actually really felt, I actually really enjoyed those. Like you know, just it really kind of obviously it's like a small thing, but it, it kind of helps you just kind of stay tuned into the broadcast, you know, kind of leading to the analyst desk and whatever. I actually, so I really felt those are like a really enjoyable, like casual thing to, to watch in between matches and stuff. Yeah. I think at this point, if you're a TO and you're not showing things at halftime or during breaks and you just have a, a number counting down, you are behind. I, I mm -hmm. think blast yeah. and flashpoint have really set the bar really high in terms of just making sure that the entire stream start to finish is a very entertaining product that you don't, you don't want to turn away from at any given second. And so I got to give a lot of shout I got to give a huge shout out to Flashpoint um, because, I mean, I was working on it, obviously, and that it just felt like the skits at the beginning of the day that we'd show later on if there was a break or something or the interviews and the player, the long form player profiles that they did of Acor, Bentet, Alex. Um, and Freiburg were like super high quality. It's basically like we just got the major player profiles, but for a reg for a tournament. So that was just crazy. Um, I I think that blasts. I really I did like those like middle of the like the KZ and the jailbreak things a lot too. Mm -hmm. I thought those were super. I like the I like weirdly was frustrated, but I could. It's one of those like disasters I couldn't stop watching. Was when one player had to communicate with the other player who had his monitor off oh, yeah, about yeah. where to go. Like it was just like, yeah, was oh, this is hurting. Some reason, I didn't see any of those. I have to see this. <laughs> like it was so yeah, bad. For some reason, it was like it hurt, but like I just had to watch it. Like I was exactly like, generally so entertaining. Like just watching a car crash on F one, you just gotta see it. <laughs> just like it's so bad, but. It's like I need to keep watching. It's so yeah. So I appreciate. I really do appreciate those. Um, so those uh those got to go out there. I I was gonna shout out a little bit of some YouTube content I like too. Um, one was Thorin's saga on Nico. Uh, about just like calling him out as a player, and that kind of <laughs> extended from Nico versus Nico to his like story about Nico at the bar at. E League Atlanta stuff, like how he had to do the whole chart or whatever. I think the ne ne the Thorin v Nico saga was one of my favorite pieces of content for the year. So it's a uh, log saga. Yeah, yeah. I like. I, I have to give that one a shout out though. Uh, on that note, I'll say Thorin's strapbook series has yeah. also been excellent to give like some perspective on on individual uh, in game leaders and just in general talk about like some of the research and thought that goes into the. The matches for some of these 
teams and players, like being able to actually get the direct perspective from the in-game leader instead of just speculating on stuff or having like another player speculate on stuff uh, just allows like more understanding into a team's dynamics. Like the one with Alexi B recently talking about like how Mantu came into the team and how they've adapted with NBK and stuff like that is just not something that you would get from just talking to, I don't know, Valde or something, for example. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that series is super good. Uh, I still think um, that I still think even though they don't do it as much, I still think Counterpoints is probably my favorite overall CS podcast, though. I want to give that another shout out because that one like Thorne and Moses are just a, like they're one of my favorite podcast dynamics in there. It is. It is my favorite podcast in the scene. So I kind of wish they would do that more. But I know that Moses is busy and Thorne. I don't know. Yeah, I, fuck I, Moses I, being selfish. I would, <laughs> I would I would assume the it's a little harder for them to coordinate those. Um, yeah, I would love to see the return of Put Up or Shut Up. Oh, that, that is a I've classic been, series. I feel like yeah. I say that once a year at least. At least that I want more of that. I I said that on CS Summit two to Bears, I think, and then I would say that again right now. That that show is so great. So, um. Other thing, uh, shout out to Pranogo for all the content he's put out. Uh, oh, you've thanks. been super consistent on your YouTube grind. I, I like, I, I think you also are just like doing a really good job in showing showing off more of like the hidden some hidden people in the scene. Like, like I haven't really seen Mahone have a platform before that ever. Like I've never even heard. I've never even seen Mahone's face before you did that. So same. like, <laughs> so yeah, like he's it's, from my city. I can't say the same thing. <laughs> I I just think I, I think what you've been doing and getting people has been really consistent and, and good stuff. So um shout out to you. Appreciate it. Thanks to all yeah. three of you guys who appeared at some point or another. That's pretty cool too. Um anything else? Uh on the on the negative on the flip side, shout out to 100 Thieves content for saying that this is a long-term investment. This is gonna be years <laughs> in the making. In their first video, which came out October, I think, 9th, 2019, or October 31st, 2019. And then less than a year later, on October 9th, 2020, they said they were pulling out of CS. And in the time, they only made five, like, real CS videos. <laughs> like, so shout out to them for that banger content. And actually, I, I looked, they made two videos about them opening cases and two videos about nice. the CSGO pros making, playing Valorant. So, like, nice. <laughs> like, like, please just get it. Just get, like, they gotta or, be. They gotta be like a real org that takes it seriously. You know, not focus on selling hoodies. You know, like envy. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good. That's a good one. That's a good. One. The other part I don't understand about that is that those players were in the hundred these offices too. So it's All not the like they didn't have the chance to make like good content. Yeah, they just had no one who had any idea what to do. I guess. Uh, yeah. So. It was 11 total videos. One was welcoming to the team. One was goodbye to the team. <laughs> four, and like I said, four were like two Valorant, two case opening. And then, well, yeah, five left were actually about, here's how we play this tournament. And I was like, okay, you guys actually just really missed the mark here on what, what this was supposed to be about, I think. Um, and they won some stuff too. So like that just felt really bad. But all right, moving on. Um, Anything else? Anything else you guys can think of? Pranoga, do you have any, any any content you liked over the... You said the you liked Launder stuff. Uh, yeah, I'll second else? the Flashpoint skits. I think my favorite ones were the like the Thorin archaeology one, and then also the the one where um, 
where we had Potter who is like in the mind of Thorin and she was like behind the, the mad. She's ghostwriting the tweets. <laughs> He's yeah. ghostwriting Thorin's tweets. Yeah, that now. was really good. So I, I really funny. appreciated those ones. I'll also say the one that you brought up, uh, Mally Snake, about the pro players who had to like navigate a blind monitor, like no, no sight. That was actually really fun because for me, I'm the kind of guy who, unfortunately, my attention span has degraded such to the point where as soon as that counter comes up and says, we'll be back in like five minutes, I'm just like, all right, what's, what else can I look at? Let's go. Let's get up out of the chair. Let's go for a run. Let's do something, dude. I can't handle this. But obviously what that was on, I was like, oh yeah, let's, let's stay and watch. Let's, uh, this is interesting. I think for like global challenge, I think they started selling like sh- like surf stuff, like you know, like yeah, like you know, like yeah. one of some of the top surfers do. And like I really enjoy those. So I really like. I would enjoy like more surfing content just in general for that stuff because I right. I really enjoy watching that type of stuff. Even like you know pros doing like surf maps together, you know, times. I think the, it'd be it'd be a lot of fun to watch. The other thing ESL did, I think it was for global challenge, is they started doing like the the refrag bits as well. I think they had like big playing in a refrag match. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah execute from Astralis and all the bots are set to pro so oh, Brolin's yeah. like uh, walking up short and insta headshotting <laughs> these guys they're yeah. yelling so loud those were really good that's something that I even suggested to, to ESL when I talked to them um, like before that event like I was telling them they should start doing refrag for even the MDL broadcast like have some of the MDL players come on and just have like three of their teammates play against some random some random exec as yeah. well um, but one other one other shout out is a little less like tangible, but just in general, the broadcast design of Flashpoint and Blast, I want to give credit to because it's kept stuff really refreshing in a year where stuff has just been like constant events and a bit of a slog. Uh, so not just the the shoulder content they have on during the broadcast, but just in general, like the flow of their broadcast. Uh, I want to give credit to that because it it just keeps stuff moving, but also keeps stuff sort of dynamic in the way it's explained. Yeah, I want it to be known that the like the way that the death segment leads into the casters for Flashpoint is something that I have. It's so simple, but I haven't seen it done before where it's like they literally are throwing to them and then there's a back and forth between caster and analyst segment that I don't know why that hasn't been done before. And I know people are going to start stealing that. Like, I think I think it just makes sense that Blast and ESL start doing that when they get like and so I wanted to like solidify that this is a flashpoint creation and that it's really good. Like that just like it just makes the whole segment feel more fluid and natural. So yeah. Um All right, let's move on then. Let's move on. That was really good. Um a lot of good content this year. I think people are just up people are just up the game so much given that your backs are against the wall in terms of like what you actually have to work with. And so props to all the TOs for and people who stepped up in the scene to to give us more to watch when all we are doing is sitting at our computers and like we can't even go outside for the most part. So let's move on to written stuff. So top news stories of the year. And before we even begin, I want to bring up that I think I just have to shout it out. I think note, I think your Pillars of Sand article was like instrumental in fostering a better NA scene and circuit and the ESEA cash cups that develop because of it and probably other little cups out there that are starting to sprout up. I, I, I think that you're, I think people, if people didn't read it, they should go back and see what the problems note outlined and just how they were fixed with a lot of the things that he said. So props to note for that. That was probably my favorite article of the year already. Thanks, but what, what else you guys got? Uh, my most unexpected one was reading fall into liquid. Cause that one was funny. Cause it also got removed from Reddit at first. So you're shouting out Ryan. 
Yep, shout out Ryan. I don't Poor know. Ryan had like Ryan, three but... reports removed by the Reddit mods this year. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why? Why do they do that? Uh, uh, I think the first one was because Valorant was in the title, but then they removed that rule or oh, something. Yeah. Uh, but then because they had that rule before, when people were posting it to Reddit, they'd like change Valorant to Riot's game or some like weird shit. And then they started removing it because they're like, you can say Valorant, it just looks ugly with this, so we use the one that has a better title instead. And Ryan just got shafted like three times because of that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you count this, but I think I think it was Richard's piece on MIBR. That's, that um, was on my list, yeah. Yeah, I think after after like the whole Leaf drama and the, uh, the stream drama, whatever whatever the other drama was for Sphiria, um, that, was a, that was a really good read. That was probably one of my most memorable ones of the year. I can't believe he got to finish it. Honestly, they kept coming out with more and more for him to add. To the list. <laughs> um, I also want to give a shout out to, I think it was Lucas who wrote the this piece on Israeli Counter Strike recently on HLTV. Oh it's yeah, also very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had our new writer, uh, come in and write a one for the future piece as well. Which, if you guys have not read it, would highly recommend. It's on uh, Dexter, the Russian yeah. player. Uh, but also very well written uh, interview done by Alexi in that one. So okay, something about that, like I felt like I was getting deja vu when that article came out. I thought someone was already talking about Dexter in an article. Was it just was I just reading? I, I mentioned Dexter on this podcast, I think, before. That. Okay, I thought there was like a longer form. Maybe someone wrote a Twitter thread about Dexter. I don't know, but I, I do. I yeah. I thought I don't. I don't know. My brain was just like short circuiting when when I was seeing that because I was like I thought. I thought I just read something about this guy, but maybe it was just some some Twitter stuff. I think so. Luis uh, Mira might have had a Twitter thread on him at some point. That seems likely. Yeah, that it's it seems like it would have been something like that. So, um, okay. Uh, any other any other shouts for for articles here? I'm trying to think of other ones, but I think that's mostly what I had. I'll say uh, notes interview with Oboe is pretty. Enlightening, shout you out for that. Enlightening, enlightening, <laughs> illuminating. I'm just, I'm just thinking about enlightening as like it opened up your, opened yeah, up your brain, expanded my horizons, <laughs> dude. Expanded um, how you thought about life. That's what an interview with Obo does. <laughs> no, he was honestly like, obviously, it helps that he had a lot of really good answers and in depth material. But yeah. I thought it was mm-hmm. just, you know, you had to set him up for him to actually swing the bat there. So. Good job. Thanks. Uh, not to not to toot my own horn here, uh, but the the long form piece on Grim when he joined Liquid was honestly like not just a pleasure to write, but like the sort of perspective that I got from uh, some of the past uh, players and in game leaders he'd played with when he was coming into Liquid was also just I think it made for a really good read just because he, to the majority of people outside of North America, he was a pretty unknown quantity. So being able to get the sort of perspective of, of him coming into Liquid from that was something I wanted to share with people. Um, so yeah. If you haven't read that, you can look it up as, I think it's uh, Rise of the Reaper at Grim Tale. So you can look that up if you That's guys are title. interested in that. I like that one. That is good. Um, one last thing. I, I, don't, I didn't know where to put this, but I guess because I guess it's a story is basically the whole uh, I guess like 
Mira posted the story, but it was more like ESIC and me how me chow the the admin Mihao, like yeah. me putting together all the um the coaching band stuff i think yeah, that i was, was gonna just... reference this in yeah. the next topic okay then yeah um let's just move on to that then top three things we want fixed in 2021 in the scenes yeah so the number one thing i want fixed is uh the coaches that got banned that are still working for teams um you know they get punished for cheating and then they just go and do my job apparently that's apparently is a, a solid enough punishment that's that's insane to me but you know whatever yeah um, so one thing i want fixed is all the cheaters that are currently still signed to teams and still helping teams that gives the rest of the scene a bad name in my opinion um that probably nothing will probably happen to that um yeah that's probably like the number one thing uh what else do i want fixed can i just say the na scene <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, um, you can say it. You can say but it seems like at least there's like some plans, at least on the ESL side. Um, I'm still waiting to see what they're doing with that. Um, and yeah, like just waiting to see what happens there. Yeah, I would say the NA scene is definitely one of the one of the big things that we really need fixed next year because for for people in Europe, it's easy to be like, oh, NA scene's already dead. Like, it doesn't really matter. But I think they're really missing the fact that if the NA scene dies, then you're also losing, like, an entire region's worth of, like, a fan base that pays for merchandise that goes to events that is, like, a general consumer of product in the industry. So, like, you don't want to lose that even if you think that the NA scene is dead. So it's definitely something that people should be considering and something that we should really be trying to fix next year for sure uh one thing i want to say is please for the love of god fund esic so that they can actually investigate stuff with like into into match fixing and actually deal with this ridiculous string of of uh matches and players that we've had in north america this year uh especially yeah. Yeah, no, sh no, li like this isn't a backhanded thing or anything, but Isak kind of said they were gonna come out with the match fixing stuff, and it just, I feel like they just opened a can of worms in that they realized, oh, wait, we said two weeks, but we need way more time to go through all of this. So, like, that's, so I agree with Note that, uh, however, if, if you want to donate to them personally or just like with funding or like if there's gonna be a group funding effort or anything like that, I like try to, what Isik is doing is so integral to the integrity of the scene that it would be in all of our best interests to make sure that they keep doing what they're doing. Um, and I think speaking uh, about, I guess, orgs in the space that are adjacent to the game, like I think something that could be fixed would be a players association that actually yep. is solidified and good. I think that CSPPA's results this year have been for lack of a better word, disgraceful. And I think that what they've like their attempts at unionizing players has shown to be way too top heavy in their efforts. And I just like it can't it's not a union or a players association in my eyes. Players association is a looser term, but it's not it's not that in my eyes if if the guy on the eighteenth best team in the world has never been contacted in and I'm speaking about vanity here, you know? Like I don't see how I don't see how that makes any sense that it can be anything of the sort or for the players if if people are not involved in this. I think and I don't think and I want to like as opposed to just complaining about this, I want to just kind of offer a little solution just 
have everybody that wants to be a part of it just sign up to a mailing list and actually deliver on the newsletter or mailing list and like get response like this should be just a group discord or something like this i don't think the administrating aspect of this should be as hard as it's being made out to be like why are only set like 12 players feel like they're involved in this like why why do we keep hearing more and more about how certain people aren't contacted or even players on the on the same team as a guy that's in it not not know what's going on like people need to like get these emails or twitter it should just be a newsletter like i think that's the easiest way to do it so they also have to solve yeah. their conflict of interest issue with the fact that they're getting funded by a tournament organizer like yeah. it just doesn't make any sense the fact is that as a union it should be their members that are chipping in a part portion of their monthly salary to fund the fund the union as a whole so that they're not biased in any sense from one tournament organizer to another that's how yeah. a traditional union operates it just doesn't make any sense for esl to be paying x amount for them to participate in a tournament yeah i i agree with that too so like these aren't this isn't just some like nebulous problem that can't be fixed this is there's very real answers out there and i would hope that csppa or maybe some new founded body in the upcoming year can do that because there's real problems in the scene with for players that need to be addressed and what's what's gone on so far has just been everything short of that so yeah um mix what do you, what else what would anything else you want to see fixed um lands <laughs> yeah just fix the coronavirus please yeah just fix the coronavirus yeah. i don't know why esl hasn't done that yet um they clearly you know, want Valorant to succeed yeah. over CS, that's why. Why has Valve not fixed COVID-19? You know, let's have a group effort you know, here. it'll fix it, the International Counter-Strike Edition, yeah. of course. But uh, for real, though, I, I am excited to hopefully see lands come back in at least studio environments. Um, yeah. I think that that'll really help the scene. Yeah. Yeah, uh, was announced to be played without a crowd this year as well, this coming yeah. year as well, right? So even that will be better than, you know. Yeah, we'll see if it holds up. Hopefully it does, but... I will say yeah. on that note, I hope to see less event saturation next year, but it's probably unlikely. But it's the already fact been is, scheduled. Yeah, the, it's, yeah, it's very unlikely. But the fact is that the number of events we had back-to-back-to-back this year just made it extremely tax- taxing as, like, a general viewer to keep up with every single event and every single match whereas like before at least when we had lands i was invested in basically every single event that was happening yes. because they all had some form of a stake to them yes whereas like i have an interview with elma putty that's gonna come out soon uh perhaps tomorrow where he basically says that like genji when they were playing these events like they all blended together if it wasn't an rmr event there is zero distinguishing factors between an IEM something, ESL something, a DreamHack something, or a Blast something. The only thing that changed was whether it was an RMR event or not. And yeah. like when you have something like that, you're just not going to have players that are as interested or invested in, in trying to be the best in that given event. Yeah, agree. Agreed. I feel like when you just see... Like the fact that events overlapped also is yeah. just that's like I think one of the best things about land that you can't play two events at once when you're at a land. So yeah, I would I would want that to be fixed as well. Pranoga, what are what are some things you you would want to see fixed in the upcoming year? 
Well, the problem is that everything that I would want to shout out that hasn't already been mentioned is related to Valve doing something, and Valve are making a lot of money doing nothing, so I don't think that's going to happen at all. But I will say that I would really like to see some map pool changes. I would like Vertigo out of the map pool because it's a disgraceful map. I fucking hate it. And, And nobody likes actually casting it. I don't think even people like playing it. Get it out. Aside from that, uh, let's talk about, I don't know, I think I think map pools are really big because they connect the the actual players who are both playing and watching, like the casual audience who are playing and watching, they connect those to the pros. And I think when the pros, so when you go pro in a game, there's a, por- a portion of the, the fun that you're having that g- gives way to, like, you have to take it serious. And so some part of the fun goes away. But all of the fun shouldn't go away. I mean, we are playing games here. So even though it's it's a serious career and you're taking it seriously and you're giving it your all, like when the pros are not having that much fun because of a weapon imbalance like the Krieg last year or because of a shitty map like Vertigo, then that's going to be in a position where it's going to impact the result. I mean, to the same degree, if the broadcast talent aren't having fun casting or drawing storylines from Vertigo or some other map or because of the Krieg or because of the Og or whatever the case may have been last year, that's also going to impact on the quality of the broadcast. And that's directly related to the game. And the only people that can handle that are Valve. Like Valve are the only people who, with the remit to edit that at any respect. So I would just say, I hope Valve pays a bit more attention to the esports side of things. Be that by you know having those map pool changes every now and then um hopefully having the majors be a little bit more you know well integrated into the scene in that sense obviously we did we got unlucky this year we didn't have any but we'll have to wait and see how that happens so yeah just hopefully valve pays more attention to the esports scene we uh, we love you valve even though you hate us just vertigo just, mirage just for context vertigo replaced cash in the map pool on march 28 2019 yep. that was the last map pool change we had like that's almost two years ago at this point and that's sort of like having no change to that for that long is just stuff is going to get stale after a while and i think we're with the event saturation is not helping it's not not all i never have on the perfect air to just change out three fucking maps like give me something interesting to do please yeah please valve why why do you hate me yeah. Why do you make me play Vertigo and Mirage for an entire year online? <laughs> yeah. Fuck those maps. Also, as a small addendum to, to the hopefully North American CS gets better next year, I want more local lands and more funding for oh, local yeah. lands in North one. America. Yeah. I, probably, I probably wouldn't hang on that too much until 2022, but I agree. Yeah. Yeah, just because of the COVID stuff. I think yeah. Nerd Street was doing a really good job with their championship series of the NCS that they were putting, to, like the different locations. Like they had like a Chicago or like a LA or SoCal one, I remember. And then they had their Philly one as always. And I think that the thing is that the America is so expansive. And it's like, I don't think people realize how big it is until they're really here that it's really hard to just like drive from one and to the other so to have it in yeah. different places i gotta give nerd street a lot of props for the fact that they were putting that together hopefully they can continue that whenever covid subsides so um that that would be that would be a really cool fix too um okay let's let's actually end this on a on a lighter note here um we are gonna talk about the question of the week which is simply why do you still love CSGO and keep coming back to it? Uh, for me, it's just like the perfect blend of like simplicity, but like a lot of strategy. Um, so like I look at Valorant and I don't like 
you know, like different characters. I don't like how much that can change a game from like game to game. I hate, I don't like how each character has like so many different abilities. And, you know, I feel like that can change a lot. And, you know, like you get so much like free information in Valorant, it seems, you know, via like drones and shit or, you know, cameras. All the, yeah, Turrets. cameras, whatever. And so CS is like the perfect blend of like everyone having like, you know, equal utility and, you know, like skill being like a large part of the game, but, you know, strategy and like macro and stuff, you know, still being a big part of it and still being something you have to, you have to really master in order to actually be like a good team. So for me, it's just the perfect blend of, you know, pure skill, but also, but also strategy. That's at least for me, easy to understand via utility. Yeah, I think having the strategic base as like foundation of the game makes it always interesting to watch because there's always going to be iteration upon iteration of what's happening in the game. Right now, like you can see stuff getting a bit repetitive because there's been no map pool changes. But when those come in, then you're also going to see like constant evolution in the way teams are playing. And with that, like you have different bands that come in from teams. You have like a whole different approach to certain things. And so the game to me just stays fresh regardless. Like when you have, even even when there aren't any changes per se coming in, teams will find a different way to approach something. Mm -hmm. Players will like change the entire dynamic. Like simple does not follow the rules of Counter-Strike in that sense. Like he will break it if he needs to. And those sort of things will always keep the game interesting. And as a viewer, it just adds that additional value to me to to be able to always be entertained by something like that. Um, so yeah, I would say the fact that the game always stays fresh and you can always like there's always some entertaining mechanic to watching a game. I've recently started like getting more into chess, and even when I'm playing chess, I'm thinking like this feels like Counter Strike sometimes in the way like some moves are planned out and some like. Like my bishop is lining up across the board. It feels like an op scoped in or something from Ticket. You know what I mean? Like that's what I'm thinking in my head for some reason. But like that's what I mean. It's always it's always interesting. Yeah, I think that the level that we've reached with Counter Strike in terms of people's skill and diversity and strategy makes nearly every matchup uh, interesting to me. And I think the game is like perfectly interactive with each other. In that I want, like, even compared to a real sport, like, my favorite real sport, like, ball sport is basketball. And when I think about the game, there are like five, it's five on five, but there's only one ball. And so you really just have to focus in on what the guy with the ball is doing and the guy that's on the ball. And there's more strategy beyond that. Like, I was actually going to be an NBA analyst for a while out of college, but I, like, with Counter Strike, there is. 5v5 everybody has a gun which means everybody has a ball like everybody can do something at any given time the onus is on the person in the server or the strategy or whatever and there's like just so many variables in it that even though it's the same maps and like you said like you know it's a, there's only like a few pieces of utility and guns or whatever it just it always feels like there's some some way that things are possible and even though like henry g will say like oh, all right looks like this round's done and dusted after a three you know after the first opening pick or something like that like it's never over it's never over till the last guy dies and i think that's always just like the most interesting thing about the game is that there's so much variety in terms of how people play and how teams like to game plan and how they like to counter each other and when it's interactive counter-strike it's just the best and i don't think there's really any game that's like that out there i don't like i like in even even in valorant it feels like 
you're just sometimes out of a round before you can even get in the round because of some set of utility that does stuff. And in CS, that's kind of true, you know, when a, when a strategy is really good for, for the opposing team, but you can always, there's always a chance to shoot yourself out of a situation and it always leads to just crazy moments that it, it's why CS is a game that you want to watch the whole journey of the game as opposed to just looking at the end result because you you don't really know how it happened until you watch the clutches that happen and the 2v2s that broke down one way or another. I just think that it always has so much to offer. I will say I am interested to see how like Valorant develops because I feel like a lot of the teams that are in Valorant at the moment um, don't really know what to do with strategy. Like I feel like that just carries over from their time in CS. Like The only team that I feel has a good base of in-game leaders is 100 Thieves of Steel and Nitro that you know mm -hmm. I feel like will actually progress and you know actually think beyond just how do I play this current round and shit like that. You know, I feel like most of the other teams are pretty basic in their strategy, like they were in Counter-Strike. Um, but yeah, like, I just love, like, I can kind of compare it to, like, American football. Um, you know, say, like, you know, CT side and defense. You know, you have, like, your, your base defaults on CT side. You know, like, in American football, you have, like, your, your base coverages. You know, like, cover two, Tampa two, cover three, things like that. And you'll have, like, your normal defaults on CT side. And then you'll have ways to, to go beyond that. You'll have, like, certain aggressive picks you go for. And, you know, you'll kind of disguise your rounds to kind of disguise that, like, aggressive pick that you're going for, you know, and make it look like a default. And that's kind of, like, how an NFL team would blitz, for example. You know, on offense, you kind of have, like, a similar thing with, like, how you use your nades at the start of a round to set yourself up. And that's kind of, like, how you would, you know, kind of like start your round via, like, yeah. yeah, formations, passing routes, stuff like that. So I even watch, like, a ton of, like, American football stuff just to see how, like, coaches think about the game and how they set up their own systems. And I find that you can apply a lot of it to CS. Mm-hmm. Pernogo, what makes you come back? I got to say, uh, I've really sort of dedicated my time to two esports in my life. One of them is Counter-Strike, and the other one is Brood War, the original StarCraft. The good one, you know, not the shit one. Uh, so what I have to say about those two games that really gets me is and the reason why i draw the comparison is both of them have an incredible mechanical element to them where raw skill like the aim in, in brood war would just be like micro being able to move your units around and the uh, strategic elements of counter-strike would be more like your unit composition your timings and your build order and stuff like that so the way that the two combine for me is what really is like that's what I would always aspire to be as a player is the fact that when I see a, a really like mechanical aim god, maybe I'll never get to his level, but because of the way that the maps are designed, because of the way that the game is designed, I can just position myself in a way and I can make that guy who's way better than me mechanically look like an idiot just because I've positioned myself in the right spot. And the fact that Counter-Strike is a game where even at the pro level, you can be making like really, really good decisions. Somebody else can still at that pro level make you look stupid just by virtue of them making a better decision or a quick you know, snap read in the situation. That is the most compelling viewing experience for me. Is It's not just like making other people look dumb, but it's the fact that like you're elevating the entire material just by virtue of playing way higher than anybody ne necessarily would expect, playing uh, you know, essentially where you're peaking at. Those are the memorable moments. You don't even have the opportunity to peak in this way in other games. It's it's not even there. So Maui Snake, you were saying earlier, like you don't know if there's another game that has this stuff like Counter Strike does. Well, spoiler alert, there isn't. I don't know if there ever really will be either. I, I'm not saying that Counter Strike can't be solved or it can't be figured out and you can't make anything better. I think it is a glass ceiling in that way, but it's a pretty high glass ceiling. Like it's it's up there and it's really difficult to get past it. So that's why I keep coming back. It's just it's just that awesome sort of viewer spectacle mixed with the idea that 
multiple play styles can still find success. And that's what makes you want to keep watching is like, which one's going to win out in a particular matchup. I, uh, I got to bring it back to NIP. They always do it pretty well. And then the top teams just make them look foolish sometimes. Yeah. So it's kind of like what you're saying there. Yeah, NIP would be the equivalent of a team on defense that just like never fucking blitzes and just plays like man to man <laughs> every single fucking round. Yep. Like yes. every single play. They're just the zone. And like that can work to like yeah. a certain extent because you're kind of covering like your base, but eventually teams are going to find a way to beat you. Mm -hmm. I think that was really well put by all of us. Uh, Great. That was a great note to end on, but we will end with one more, which is uh, what are your guys' end-of-the-year plugs? So, no. What's your plug? What's coming out for you? I think you said something earlier. Uh, yeah, I have, an, I have an interview with Elmo Putty coming out likely tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely before the new year. Uh, so just keep an eye out on HLTV for that. Uh, and then I should have a future piece sometime in the new year as well that I can't actually talk about yet, but that will be there at some point as well. Cool mix. Right. What you got? Um, follow my Twitter. Oh, wait. Don't do that. Can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, happy just, birthday, by the way. You, you should just tell people because I don't know. I mean, people that do follow you should know what happened. Why did your Twitter get I just suspended? wanted to put in my fucking birth date, dude. And I put in my birthday, 1998, and I forgot I made this shit when I was 11 in 2009. And then yeah. I instantly, instantly, as soon as I hit accept, I got locked out of my fucking account. And so now <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting. I should get it back and just have to delete everything before I made the age of 13. And it should yeah. be fine, but I'm just, I'm just waiting on that. <laughs> All right, so follow uh, your unreal. career, though. Yeah. Once <laughs> we'll it comes back. for later, yeah. <laughs> All right. Pranogo, what's your, what's your plug? What you got coming? Uh, there'll be another video interview in my series of video interviews uh, coming out probably tomorrow. It's going to be with Scrawny, so stay tuned for that. Aside from cool. that, uh, just check out Elo Heaven with Vu. It's my talk show with him. We uh, mostly, uh, you know, honestly, I, I kept thinking we were going to get really into the weeds with games and stuff because I know he can talk about them a lot, and I was watching them all, so I had some stuff to say. But e even then, we still ended up just uh, mostly bantering and like talking shit. So if you're if you need more talking shit podcasts, because by the numbers somehow didn't satisfy you, that's one for you. So that's it. That's my plug. All right, my my final plug of the year is uh is that i'm gonna i'm gonna start up a little twitch series where i feel like something that i need to work on the most is like find is the history of the game so i'm gonna work chronologically from like the first csgo tournaments in 2012 and i'm just gonna watch the vods back and i'm gonna it's gonna be the series will be called in the green room with maui snake because it's essentially what it's like to sit with me when I'm just like watching games live uh, tournament in tournaments and things like that. So if you guys are interested in seeing some of the historical matches and just having fun, having a having a drink, chilling out, tune that in. That sounds like a really not, good idea. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to play like I've, I, I tested out playing from here and streaming and I'm gonna be real. I don't really love playing with 100 ping every day and I don't and I but I respect people that do that grind, but I'd rather just just watch old games. And I feel like if you're interested in reliving the history or maybe experiencing it for the first time which i'm going to be doing for a lot of the games then then tune into my twitch and I've that'll start played, tomorrow. i've i don't even think i've played 10 pugs total this year like 10 actual games with counter-strike i'm i'm ruined now because i was in the uk for two months with 10 ping and i was literally like i don't know if you guys saw the face it stats i had but i had above a 2.0 kd like 30 kill average <laughs> you had like yeah you had 30 kills average. <laughs> i had a 30 kill average with 2.0 kd and i was like this is so easy like 
I understand why people like playing this game like a lot now again. <laughs> and I'm just like now I'm back in Hawaii and I'm like, OK, I'm just I just don't want to really touch face it pugs because my Elo's like a little bit higher now and I don't want to experience it with 100 ping, you know, so yeah, but I'll just be You're watching probably the best player in Hawaii, at least. That's like something, I, right? I know for a fact I am. No, no, no <laughs> gloating, but I know for a hundred percent fact I'm the best player in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, you didn't get easy... the holy grail combination of ten ping and playing against UK players as well. <laughs> uh, well, like they were. Well, like when you queue, you play. You'll play in the Netherlands a lot, but that's just like right across the 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 ocean, I guess. Uh, whatever, like that between England and the Netherlands. It is the ocean. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, they call that channel. Channel. Yeah. A channel. Is, is it a channel? It's pretty. It's like I have no idea. Channel whatever or an inlet it, whatever it, it, the fuck, it doesn't matter i, I mean I, I finally had lower ping in a server than people playing against me and i felt like oh my god like i literally have been fundamentally playing the game by peaking like instead of holding angles a lot of the time and i was finally able to hold angles i mean i played on LAN a couple times when i was in america but like like it's just like i can hold angles on online like it just felt unreal so that's why i'm that's why i'm doing that's kind of why i'm doing this series also i just think it's gonna be fun to kick back and just watch some old vods like that so, uh, yeah, it'll be banter and things like that. So, yeah, that's going to be it for us here. Uh, episode 10 is completed. But as always, be sure to like, subscribe. Uh, if you guys didn't know at this point, you guys can listen to this on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the Patreon if you want to support. It's not, it's not mandatory, but you can submit questions like, uh, who is the guy? whatever like first, the question in the middle sock, of this yeah, one first sock yeah first sock our our biggest supporter first sock has been submitting questions a lot of the time under different usernames but i mean be like him submit more questions i mean it's more content for us to talk about more things for us to shoot the shit about so uh get those questions in or you know if you donate more we'll come up with some special rewards too so enjoy i hope you guys have enjoyed this has been uh 2020 for its server time and i think i think we've done a good job guys and i, I appreciate all the listeners out there too